Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine, and I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. Okay, it's your turn. What did you pick? Uh, I picked a story called The Venus Effect by Violet Allen. Her heels, while fabulous, were not made for rocking so hard. They were beautiful shoes, certainly. Vibrant and sleek, canary yellow, bold as love. Perhaps they are a bit too matchy-matchy with regard to the rest of her outfit. The canary yellow dress and the canary yellow necklace and the canary yellow bow atop her head. But the matchy-matchy look is good for people who are forces of nature, invoking four-color heroism and supernatural panache. Yet, however lovely and amazing and charming and expensive these shoes might be, they cannot be everything. The center cannot hold. Things fall apart. Her left heel snaps. Her balance is lost. Her momentum and her tipsiness send her stumbling, and no one is paying enough attention to catch her. The building is not so high up that a fall would definitely kill her, but death could be very easily found on the sidewalk below. Apollo rushes forward, reaches out to grab her, but he is too late. She goes over the edge. Apollo cannot look away. She falls for what feels like forever, and then she stops. She doesn't hit the ground. She just stops and hangs in the air. Apollo stares, frozen. On the one hand, relieved not to witness a death. On the other hand, filled with ontological dread as his understanding of the laws of gravitation unravel before his eyes. On a third hypothetical hand filled with wonder and awe at this flagrant violation of consensus reality, the young woman looks up at Apollo with her face stuck in a frightened grimace as she slowly, slowly descends, like a feather in the breeze. She takes off as soon as she hits the ground, stumble running as fast as one can on non-functional shoes. Apollo does not know what has just happened, but he knows that he wants to know. He does not say goodbye to the hostess or his friends or Naomi. He just ghosts, flying down the ladder and down the hall and down the stairs and out the door. He can just make out a blur in the direction she ran off and he chases after it. There is a man in a police uniform standing at the corner. Apollo does not see him in the darkness, does not know that he is running toward him. The man in the police uniform draws his weapon and yells for Apollo to stop. Inertia and confusion do not allow Apollo to stop quickly enough. Fearing for his life, the man in the police uniform pulls the trigger of his weapon several times, and the bullets strike Apollo in his chest, doing critical damage to his heart and lungs. He flops to the ground. He is dead now. Uh, what? That was not supposed to happen. Apollo was supposed to chase the girl alien, then have some romantically charged adventures fighting evil aliens. Then at the end, she was going to go back to her home planet and was going to be sad. Who was that guy? That's weird, right? That's not supposed to happen, right? Dudes aren't supposed to just pop off and end stories out of nowhere. I guess, to be fair, brother was running around in the middle of the night acting a fool. That's just asking for trouble. He was a pretty unlikable protagonist anyway. A petty, horny, pretentious idiot with an almost palpable stink of author surrogacy on him. I think there was a Kipling quote in there. Who's that for? You don't want to read some lame indie romance bullshit, right? Sad boy meets manic pixie dream alien? I'm already bored. Let's start over. This time we'll go classic. We'll have a real hero you can look up to. And cool action adventure shit will go down. You ready? Here we go. Cool. So what made you pick this one? I know you read it in the books, blah, blah, blah. But what do you what do you like about it that made you pick it? I think just the way that turn, that little, uh, the, the, it's metafiction and um, the way in which Violet Allen handles the metafiction and the metafictional aspects of this makes that story play out is just phenomenal it's so interesting and so good i was just blown away by the story and i just ha- i just had to bring it it was like there's no other choice <laughs> i want a ringing endorsement this story is pretty amazing you're gushing <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, you're right. That is like the first turn. This is like the first section that you read pretty much. I mean, you didn't start at the beginning, but basically started at the beginning. Yeah. What she ends up repeating throughout. And then that you're right. That first turn is what tells you right away. Like, this is not going to be the typical story. It's not just some alien space adventure. You're, you're right. It's metafiction. I want to say that under normal circumstances, if you ask me if I like metafiction, I'd say no. <laughs> I don't. I want to read fiction. I want to read regular stories. But what she does with this... The metafictional aspect of it is just so interesting. Like the story is the metafiction. The metafictional part of it makes the larger narrative, which is uh, it's an accomplishment. It's really cool. I remember I tried to do something like this once for the workshop where I told a story over and over again with like different endings, but uh, it wasn't metafiction. But I still love the idea of telling stories different ways. Jumping ahead to my takeaway, I think it's cool when there are certain kind of writers who can't stop editing their own work because they love all versions of something. And this is a really neat way to like incorporate a lot of them. Obviously, this is metafiction, so the point is not to have different endings. The point is that all the endings are the same, even though everything leading up to it was different, you know? But I think it's kind of neat that this is a way to kind of showcase all the ways in your brain that something might have gone. Yeah. Well, I mean, what this does, you know, it's playing with the uh, the unfortunate pattern of police violence, right? And all these stories are like they're building up to something and all of a sudden a police officer steps out of nowhere and kills somebody, kills the protagonist. And so if you think about every person who's been shot and killed by a police officer in these really terrible scenarios that have been playing out over the past couple of decades that we're all familiar with and continue after the story came out, they're each a protagonist and each of their stories were going on until out of nowhere they're killed and not for any good reason, right? Like he's the one I read, he's just running down the street and he gets shot and killed and like, hey, what just happened two years ago? Yeah, this was done in 2016. Yeah, yeah, it printed in 2016, <laughs> you know. Right, right, right. And going off of that, there's like the bit too where uh, the author, you know, who's talking to us, the narrator says, well, how about we try a woman? How about we just go with the alien? <laughs> uh, <laughs> like maybe then she'll survive. And spoiler. Yeah, it's an interesting there's um Wayne Booth. It's uh he's he wrote a book called The Rhetoric of Fiction a million years ago now. I think it was in the sixties it came out, but he's the one who came up with the concept of the unreliable narrator. Like um he identified it in fiction as like this and gave it that name. This is the unreliable narrator. But he also came up with the idea of the implied author. It's like it's not the literal author of the text, it's like the kind of projection, the cons- the construct we produce by reading that we assume the kind of person who must have written this. But that's like for an ordinary text you kind of assume like okay this feels like a male writer this feels like this this feels like that as you're reading it it could have like particular like style familiar kind of patterns or something but i think what she's doing here is she's doing something in between that where she's deliberately constructing an author character that's stepping into the story and being like hey who's taking over my story (laughs) you know like that's a really interesting kind of construct to develop as you're writing is like you are writing a character that is ostensibly you but is also a literary construct right like all the details you're giving to that character are not necessarily details that you possess but you might draw from yourself to do it right i don't know it's really fascinating and it's you know especially in a metafictional sense where you're this part later on where she's like uh getting frustrated with the story right and how this cop keeps jumping out she's like that's it i'm not playing anymore i can quit 
quit at any time. No one can stop me. Look, I'll do it now. Boom. I just quit for two days. Boom. That was two weeks. Boom. Now I have to change all the dates to 2016. What's the point of writing this thing? What's the point of writing anything? That we're getting the sense that the author's annoyed with it. We can project the idea that they put the story aside for a couple of months in there. She didn't have to. She's just developing this idea that that character, that author construct did that for the sake of the uh, kind of meta story that's being told of, the, of this author who's struggling with the story. Um, it's interesting. I think anytime we've written a story, maybe like in second person, you know, where you're like addressing the reader mm-hmm. that your most writers i would argue are like on some level aware that they're doing that implied narrator thing whether or not they know that that's really what it is you know but they're probably borrowing from themselves they're probably portraying that narrator in a way that's like really close to their own voice but i wonder if what kind of puts it over the edge and makes it obvious that you have to construct that narrator is like this idea of like metafiction where if you're aware of that genre you know that like that narrator has to like really pop off the page right because you're directly Directly, you're not just addressing the reader, but you're addressing the reader for the sake of the story. You know, it's not just like breaking like the fourth wall. It's like but yeah, you're talking about the story yeah. to the reader, right? Yeah, and yeah, it's so you have it's, to. You're not. You keep saying narrator, but it's not really a narrator because you're not narrating a story anymore. You're you're stepping yeah. in as right. the author, which is a different thing than the narrator. Okay. Like uh, I could be writing a narrator, like in the first person, who's like somebody is not me, and it's very obviously not me, right? Like, oh, it's a 15 year old girl or something, you know, which I am not. And then I could step in to that, break into her voice, and say, uh, okay, here's me. I'm the author, and uh, I don't like this character anymore, or whatever. You say something, but in doing that, I'm also constructing a literary construct that is me as an author, but not me. It's a construct, right? And I could I could think of it as myself, right? But the reader doesn't know me. The reader doesn't have to know me. The reader only gets the words I put down. So they're going to come up with some other an idea of me that's not me. And that's the authorial construct. She even refers to it later on in the story. This is like right before she gives up, right? Or the author character gives up. It's the same story every time, again and again and again. I can't fight the man in the police uniform. He's real, and I'm an authorial construct. (laughs) Just words on a page. Pure pretend. Be no who isn't pretend. You. We have to save Apollo. We're both responsible for him. We created him together. Death of the author, you know? It's just you and me now. I've got one last trick. I didn't mention this in the interest of pace and narrative cohesion, but I lifted the Omega question off Lord Flocks before he he died. I don't have the answer, but I know the question. You've got to go in. I can keep the man in the police uniform at bay as long as I can, but you have to save Apollo. We're going full Morrison. Engage, second person present. God forgive us. It's, I love that turn, by the way. That's why I had to read the whole thing. I could have stopped after I got to authorial construct. But <laughs> You're being indulgent. I was being indulgent. <laughs> gushing earlier indulgent now i mean i get why you're why yeah why you're gushing about it because it's really rare that we hear someone talk about like metafiction in terms of like the story versus like i feel like there's a lot of metafiction about writing mm-hmm. you know like oh writing's hard this is hard to write but this is interesting because she's talking about the plot of the story and like not being in control of it it's way more fun and obviously it's like rich compared to those other things as far as its topic there's a lot more here with what it's talking about than with the 
the life of a writer, the hard life of a writer. <laughs> That's right. Versus yeah, the life of a, right. a black person in America. Yeah, so there's a lot more to explore here for sure. I mean, it almost makes it hard to imagine uh, any other scenario where this story would be as powerful. Like what other plot would be as powerful? That's a good question because the, uh, the story that I see is like, which is why I talked about editorial construct is such a perfect term for what it is, is because the story as I read it is an author struggling with something where to write stories in a world in which stories keep getting shot by police officers, right? If you think of all these people as being protagonists and stories. So every story they try to start just ends up with tragedy because out of nowhere, right. somebody gets shot. And so then the author's like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? I can't finish any of these stories because this keeps happening. Somebody keeps getting shot. And then that's where the turn comes. It's like, all right, we're going to have to do this a different way. So it, it kind of um, be interesting to know the process of writing is how that came up. How did oh, she sure. come up with that idea? How did she start executing? Like, what was the first draft like? Where did she begin right. with it? How much of it was fully formed? And how much did she discover? But I don't know as far as that goes, like what other things are so recurring that to kind of spoil stories? Like, to your point about what other story could this possibly occur in is like maybe some kind of like war situation because wars happen over and over again, you know, different just violence in general could you could yeah. probably pick violent acts or even love stories you know yeah you know we have we do those over and over again but something that just keeps reoccurring like and if you get an author that's frustrated with oh they're gonna fall in love again <laughs> how can i write a story with someone who just yeah. like, stays single but you know i don't know they would have the same impact yeah it's not gonna be as powerful it's i think it's gotta be like a negative outcome but i think that about most stories <laughs> <laughs> it's true we got that Patreon extra episode of where we talked about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like the only other like hot button issue I could like think of is like women's reproductive rights. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but she has to have the baby, but she has to have the baby, but she has to have the baby. It's like um, the narration is going along. It's like, and she sat down to make her decision and said, wait a minute, somebody else is making her decision for her. And then the author can come in and say, yeah. I wanted her to have agency in this, but she couldn't. I don't know what happened. Let me try it again. Right. <laughs> you know, right. it'd be a way right. to do it. Yeah. You mentioned before some of the uh, kind of the tone of it with like the wry humor and the, I don't think you use yeah, these words, yeah. but like. Uh, I said sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, you said sarcastic. That's right. <laughs> but right before the part where I started reading, she said um, she's embraced of the moment, full with the spirit, completely ungenerous with fucks and possibly bordering on the near side of alcohol poisoning. I underline that completely ungenerous with fucks because it's like, it's that, it's that idiom doesn't give a fuck, right? Yeah. Except it's rewritten with uh, like a literary kind of cast to it. And she does that like many times throughout, like just facility with words is stupendous. stupendous. <laughs> they stumble over words to try to enough, describe Enough, John. <laughs> <laughs> Even in the, the narrative sections, there's a little bit of like a nod to this metafiction thing. This is just back and forth dialogue. The city is in danger. We need your help. To defeat this evil, we, the Justice Gang, need to combine our powers to form white justice. Yes, only white justice can save the city this time. Also, can you please pick up pink justice? She is grounded from driving because she went to the mall instead of babysitting her little brother. What an airhead. I know. But she is also a valuable member of the Justice Gang. Only when Pink Justice, Blue Justice, Black Justice, and Mauve Justice combine with me, their leader, Red Justice, can our ultimate power, White Justice, be formed, as I know. Yes, all thanks to Princess Amarelia, who gave us our prismatic justice powers in order to prevent the evil Lord Flocks from answering the Omega question and destroying civilization. Righteous. 
Just as white light is composed of all colors of light, so white justice will be formed from our multicultural, gender-inclusive commitment to good and right. Okay, bye. <laughs> it's like the over-explaining. Yeah. It's like the uh, putting background details in dialogue, right? Um, the Maiden right. Butler style dialogue that we talked about a few episodes back. That mm-hmm. um, it's not realistic dialogue, right? But it's like the right. kind. Of uh, she's playing with the uh, tropes of the of a different kind of genre, and then I liked what she did with the uh, crossing things out. You know, like uh, the one section when it was like uh, she's holding yeah. a gun, gun is crossed out. Yeah, something alien that looks nothing like a weapon. She does that. Yeah, I think throughout. It, or is it just one yep. section? No, there's a few times. There's like one where uh, instead yeah. of cursing, yeah, there's a few times. Like, yeah, yeah, that part is really powerful because that's more commentary on the writing process, right? You know, I thought about. It being this, but it's not. This is my former thought, though, as the author, not as you know, the di- whoever's speaking the dialogue that's crossed out or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, it's it's even like you can see like the author construct kind of struggling with characterization versus trying to escape this police officer, police brutality thing. Like right. the man in the police uniform tells Apollo to get out of the car. Yeah. The section is crossed out. What is this about? What's your probable cause? All that crossed out. And instead, yes, sir, officer, says Apollo, getting out of the car. Like he's trying to soften Apollo. He's like, don't get shot, mm-hmm. Apollo. Don't get shot, Apollo. Like just say, yes sir officer right yeah i forgot about that feature this uh part while patting her down this is when she tried to try the a female character is like nobody's gonna shoot a girl right while patting her down for drugs he slips his fingers into her underwear she tries to pull his hands away prompting him to use force to stop her from resisting arrest her head is slammed many times against the sidewalk she dies and then she didn't do anything and even if she did do something killing is not the answer I just, I'm just going through looking at things I underlined. <laughs> you stop me anytime. <laughs> no, you're good. I mean, there's a million of these things. I think there's a point where she changes the sex of the person that's killed. She says, like, let's try a child. Everybody's been a child. Everybody loves children. It's about connecting with the protagonist, right? Yeah, right, right. She's like, whatever is, you know, basically most heart-wrenching to you. There's a part where she says, it's time to blacksploit this problem. And then um, it's like you know, um, like a shaft kind of thing. But uh-huh. it's Apollo Jones, right? And then I love the way that this is done. They've been chasing their suspect for weeks now, some sicko responsible for a string of murders. In a surprising third act twist, they discovered that the one responsible is one of their own. A bad apple gets his kicks from harming the innocent. It's like, let's skip to the end, right? Let's do this, brother. They skip the middle part of the story, since that has been where we've been getting into trouble. They rush right to the end, where the man in the police uniform is waiting for them. It's like (laughs) the heavy hand of the author trying to get us to the uh, the part we can try to escape the uh, inevitable. Doesn't work. Right. My point is listing like the two things I did and we can keep going. It's just like she has seen this completely through, you know, it's hard. It's hard to imagine a scenario that she didn't play out. But with that in mind, it didn't get repetitive or boring. Yeah. So even though everything ended the same way, she's building on the commentary. You know, we've talked about that in other stories, the way that even repetitive stories are managed to teach you something or tell you something different each time, even if they're covering the same ground over and over. Back to my point about how I had tried at one point to write a story like this. No social commentary whatsoever. You know, there's nothing like 
like powerful about it. I'm not comparing it at all to this, but it was it was like me envisioning a memory and like telling it over and over differently. Like as the writer, like what if it went this way? What if it went this way? What I struggled with then was like making any of the versions much different. I don't think that I was bored by the end. I didn't go to the same lengths, but I don't know. I'm just pointing out that there is like kind of like an unnamed skill in being able to add to it. I think a lot of it's probably editing, but I don't I don't think you write one awesome perfect draft of a story like this that is in its nature repetitive. But yeah, you gotta like make sure each of these examples is give is offering something new. Yeah, absolutely. My basic takeaway from you know 90 something episodes of this podcast is yeah. <laughs> and this is my basic when I was teaching, it's about writing and my feedback for anybody in the workshop is just is pay attention. Pay attention to what it is that is happening on the page as you're doing it. Pay attention uh-huh. to the effects that are being created. And that repetitiveness, you know, if you're paying attention to the way the story is unfolding, you're paying attention to what has already happened and the movement that's occurring, right? Right. And there's like levels of story. I think what you're talking about with when you're circling back to, to the same thing over and over again. Again, but bringing something new each time right. is paying attention to what has happened before and what you can do next, right? And in the right. revision process, especially, is like, what have I accomplished? Where does you know where does it get bogged down? And the reason I started all that by saying you know my basic takeaway for everything is because my takeaway for this story was to pay attention to those levels, right? Right. Because I was thinking of the author construct as a thing, and like I don't think my takeaway should be anything like, oh, try to do an author construct in your story metafiction right too i don't know small the thing that i would think about is like what author construct are you creating within your story by selecting the things that you're selecting and then at a, that's one level and then at a slightly lower level it's like who is the narrator that you're creating and then what are the story elements that you're creating like paying attention to all the small things that build up to the large things uh-huh. and making sure that it's all um this is a terrible for i was gonna say smoothly transitional in other words there's no it's like not naughty. It's not confusing. It's all like easy to to get as you're reading. It doesn't require a lot of work. Right. I kind of hinted at my takeaway at the beginning and it, it's probably pretty similar because this is one of the stories like you can't hope to copy. Like no one should try. This is its own thing. But like I said, it did remind me of the one time I tried to envision different endings to the same story. And it was really fun for my purposes to do that. And to also know that like, if you do feel yourself wondering that there could be different endings that, I mean, go ahead and see if you can keep them all, you know, and it might be a metafiction thing or it might be something different, but I like stories that have where you can tell the, the, the writer, the author, whoever actually really thought through what this could be before they just picked a way to end it you know i don't usually identify with that usually like if i have an idea for a story it's because i have an idea for the ending it's usually that i know how something's gonna land but i know a lot of writers that come up with premises or whatever or the beginning of a big piece and they're still kind of like deciding how everything will fall together stephen king yeah i just don't know what it's like but this is a cool way to to think about how to keep them all or it could just be a really neat brainstorming thing you know as she decided to keep this science fiction she could have picked one of them and still made it a commentary maybe it wouldn't at that point have been metafiction you know but maybe she could have like preserved some theme here you know with her best version it would have been drastically different right it would have just been a sci-fi story that commented on being shot while black but it would have been the same in terms of 
you know. Yeah, I wonder how the effect. The effect would be whole t- completely different. We wouldn't be yeah, talking about gonna... like sharing this story years later and stuff like that. Yeah. But it would still have been, you know, if she had come to the story with all of these ideas as an ending for one story and then landed on metafiction, fine. But like, had she not been the author that she is and able to do this or pull it off, it's cool to think about all the ways that she could have ended just one plot, you know, it kind of stuck with I, just I would plot. really, I kind of want to find more of her work. Yeah. She has such a facility, like I said, facility with words. I'd love to see how she writes like a straight, it's like a story. How does that, how does that look like? Right. Like, how does she write elsewhere? Right. I'm curious to see that. All right. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, consider joining our Patreon. Your support helps us keep the show running. Find out more at patreon.com slash why is this good podcast. And for industry news, writing tips, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Naples Writers Workshop. You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter at napleswritersworkshop.com.